Amen. All right, y'all. Well, we're studying Philippians, so you can turn with, with, uh, with me to Philippians chapter 1. You know we don't do anything too quickly, so we'll be in Philippians for a while. But Philippians chapter 1. Last week we studied uh, verse 6 was the main verse. We got through uh, the first six verses of chapter 1. And the main thought there was to me in verse 6 was being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so it's an exhortation and an encouragement right here in the word of God. That whatever God has started in our lives, he's going to complete it. What he started is a good work. He's going to finish the good work that he began in us. The work of salvation and, and, and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ and the bearing of fruit. And everything he desires, the ministry, everything that he has started in our lives, he is going to finish. He's not going to leave us hanging. He's not going to get us partway down the road and then abandon us. And now, and now what, Lord? What am I going to do now? He doesn't abandon us because we sin, because he's given a provision for that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. But this has to do strictly with the faithfulness of God. If you're really saved, if you're really born again, we can be totally confident, assured, assured that the work that Christ has begun in us, he is going to, to complete it. So we're going to read verses 7 through 11 right now. And... And, and cover this tonight as the Lord enables us to do. Amen. Verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Amen. So we're going to look at the first two verses, 7 and 8. That's where we'll focus. But he just... Some of this I won't spend as much time on as other verses, but Paul says, I have you in my heart, okay? He, he genuinely loved them. These, uh, these believers in Philippi were special to Paul, for they had been very faithful, and they had stood with Paul. He says, in my bonds you stood with me. That meant in his imprisonment, and this wasn't the first time he was in prison in Philippi. Now, at the time of the writing of this epistle, he is in a his own hired house, basically, in like an apartment prison in Rome. And when he's writing that, and the Philippian believers had stood with him. And they stood with him in his bonds, they stood with him in his defense, and they stood with him in the confirmation of the gospel, which simply means they stood with him in the establishing of the gospel. They were strong Christians. They preached the word. They were one of the few churches, like we talked about two weeks ago, that actually sent money to Paul. I mean, we see it right here in the scriptures. And I think a lot of good people, a lot of good Christians that I've met don't even think about that, but we ought to think about that. They, were, they thought about Paul in Thessalonica and they sent money to him there. Had nothing to do with them other than the work of the ministry, the gospel being brought forth. And more than once they ministered to his needs uh, physically 
and financially like that. And so they were special to Paul. And it says that when he says this, and you are partakers of my grace at the end of verse 7. The better translation, everybody that I have looked at says it's not really Paul's grace. It simply means you're a partaker or an associate or you share with me in the same grace of God that I've received. That's all that means. It's not Paul's grace. It's the grace of God. But it's the same grace, literally, that Paul had been blessed by and had received. They were partakers of that. Now, I want to move on to verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And it's interesting because Paul prayed for the churches. I know they prayed for him as well, but he, he constantly prayed for them. And I look at the men of God through the years that were like shepherds. Moses, we studied the life of Moses, remember, for a better part of a year. And Moses, one of the things that stands out about his life is that he prayed for the people that God had given him. He cared for them like a mother would a child. He bore them. Even when they totally rejected uh, Moses or turned on him, he would still uh, fall on his knees and fall on his face before the Lord and pray for those people. And he even said, Lord, if you're going to cut these people off, one time the Lord was so angry with the people of Israel, then Moses says, Lord, you know, he never really finished the sentence, but Lord, he says, if you're going to cut them off, and, you know, he kind of left it at that. But we see that the Samuel praying for the people, right? He says, God forbid that I should cease praying for you. And, and so uh, Paul had a prayer. He had prayed for these churches. God answers prayer. But it's interesting that when you say, well, what, is, what's his, what is his prayer for the church at Philippi? I'm not saying this is his only prayer. But he does write this down, and it's recorded for, for us. This I pray. Well, what is he going to pray for their wealth? Is he going to pray for their health? Is he going to pray that they have an easy life and that they have no persecutions or troubles? That is, that's not what he's praying for. He's praying. He says that your love may abound yet more and more. Your love may abound more and more. And... The Bible does say that in 1 Corinthians that now abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In other words, the greatest in the sense of one excelling the other. Not that the others aren't great. The greatest of these is love. And so Paul's getting right to it. My prayer for you, Philippians, is that your love may abound more and more. It means to overflow like a flood when it's, when it, the word abound there. So... Um, there is an there is an inflow of love, I guess you could say, from the Lord. This type of love is not the world's love, not phileo love. It's not uh, the other types of love. This type of love is strictly from the Lord. And if the Lord's not in the picture, then this love is not in the picture. It is genuinely from God. Amen. It's agape love, and I know that we've heard that. But the Bible says in Romans five, a scripture that we quote often. Uh, that the love of God would be shed abroad in our hearts, the believer's hearts, by the Holy Ghost. So it is it's from the Lord. So there's an inflow of love, I guess you would say, from the Lord. And then there's an outflow of love from the life of the believer that's been saved by the Lord, that's genuinely born again. Not just being nice to people. Lost people can be nice when, it, when they feel like it. You know, they can do things uh, that are kind. But... 
this is the genuine love of the Lord through us that would be consistent. It's consistent when, when the people are, that we're loving love us back, and it's consistent when the people that we're loving don't love us back. We love. You know, that uh, Sunday school, I know Chris and Maria were t- uh, reading that, having loved his own, he, he loved them until the end. He loved them all the way. He didn't let up loving them, even though one of them was a devil, basically, and going to betray the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. He loved him to the end. And that is the love of the Lord. So there's an inflow of of God's love. There's an outflow, and there's an upflow, you could say, where it goes back to the Lord, where we love the Lord, where our hearts are on fire for God, where our hearts are lifted up in adoration and love, genuine love for the Lord. And it's all from the Lord. And so he says, uh, but that the love of God would increase. And it's important to understand because he gives a little description to me, he does, in godly love in verse 9. Your love may abound yet more and more. How? In knowledge and in judgment. A lot of times we we might not put love in the same sentence with knowledge and judgment. And yet here we see it, and we see it other places in, in the Bible as well, that this true love has to be, it is, and it must be more than just a sent- sentimental love, okay, where that kind of just comes and goes with feelings and with seasons, right, and seasons in life, sentimental love. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those, but it's not near as great as the love of God, okay? Emotional, it cannot be just merely emotional, we get, as I said, it's like the sentimental. We get real excited. We feel really passionate about something. I mean, I'm just loving college football right now. I'm just all into it. And next week, you're not, not, not into it anymore because your team stinks, okay, uh, whatever it may be. But that kind of thing is not what we're talking about. This the love of God is agape and is unconditional. It is not at all based on feelings. It's based on faith. It's based on the working of God in our lives. And he says that the love that, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. This means like it, it would abound fully, okay, in knowledge and in judgment. This, this judgment is actually an, another word that's used there is discernment. It is spiritual understanding. So wait a minute, my love is to be with knowledge and with spiritual discernment and understanding. True love is going to birth knowledge. And again, that might not be things we think about a lot, but or might not put those two together. I want you, if you would, just look at, at 1 John. We'll go back to Philippians, but look at 1 John chapter 4. Verses 7 and 8. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So there's a, everyone that truly loves with this, this love of God is born again and knows God. So there's a knowledge that goes with it, a knowledge of the Most High, a knowledge of the Lord. He that loveth not, verse 8, knoweth not God. There again, it's knowledge, for God is love, true love. We cannot love 
with the love of the Lord without knowing the Lord, with having a knowledge of Christ. Not a head knowledge. This is a heart knowledge. This is the kenosis, like the most intimate relationship that a person can have with another. That type of knowledge, right? And so this love and knowledge, they do go together. And so we'll continue back in Philippians 1.10. This is uh, continue, uh, continuing the prayer of Paul for this church. It's the same sentence. Your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So I want to talk about this. Approve means to test. We are to approve. The believers are to approve the things that are excellent. We'll talk about that word in just a moment. But approve means to scrutinize, to prove, to test, to discern, to examine, to allow. Okay? And we are to, we are to do, test morally. We are to test spiritually. We are to test light versus dark. We are to test by the word of God. But we're to approve the things or test the things or discern things that are excellent. And excellent here means that di they differ, things that differ of more value, things that surpass, things that matter. I would think excellent would just mean excellent or good, but it actually has to do with almost like ranking things, like this is excellent, this is, this is of eternal value, this is of just temporal value. This, is, this surpasses this, okay? As we said, like love surpasses uh, faith and hope, it says in 1 Corinthians. It, things that matter. One translation also says in verse 10 that you may try the things that differ. Try the things that differ, but they basically mean the same thing, okay? We, how do we try? How does the believer try or test things? Because on the appearance, things might all look wonderful. You know, we, like our study we're doing on Sunday mornings about the, the progressive church and these deception and errors within the church. On the surface, things may look fine. The church building may look fine. The pastor may look okay. The pulpit, the Bible he's holding, all that may look okay. He talks about Jesus. They sing songs about Jesus. And, and yet, how do we know if it's of God or not? How do we test and scrutinize things? It is by the Word of God, by the Word of God, and in, in conjunction with, not separate from, the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the Spirit of God who leads us into all truth. The Bible says, and you don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 11, 3, by the, by the Holy Ghost, uh, it, the Holy Spirit makes us quick, of a quick understanding. Now, that was speaking about the Lord there, the, the seven spirits that would come upon the Lord. The spirit of, of the Lord would make him of quick understanding. And I just want to read this from 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. So this is not an isolated scripture in Philippians 1.10. It says, prove, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. I'll read it again. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. So there's a differentiating. There's a distinguishing. And not only do we differentiate and distinguish between what's excellent, what's not excellent, what's of God, what's not of God, what's truth, what's error, but we hold to that which is good and we abstain from all appearance of evil. 
we forsake that. That is our responsibility. It's not enough just to know that's wrong. Uh, that, that teacher's been teaching wrong. That preacher's been preaching wrong. But, you know, I like that church and I like those people and I'm going to keep going. That's not going to cut it. The Lord says that we, we approve or we test and differentiate and distinguish. And then we cling to what's good and what's right and cleave to that. And we abstain from what's not of the Lord. We have that responsibility. If we fail to do that, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Even if you're, if you're a genuine believer, you're setting yourself up for a serious fall and deception and heartache and, and a, a road that there's no telling how far the wrong way it may go. And so we distinguish what's of God. We distinguish what's of eternal value and what's not, uh, what's good, what's better, what's best. What is uh, actually one translation talked about, we, we approve things that transcend, that are higher. That's the kind of things we want to be moving towards versus what's trivial. Um, and I've thought about this as I've just the, in the ministry that I've been in through, through my life. When Dee and I first started, we, the first thing besides music, we were working with uh, youth. We've been working with youth. I have all my saved life working with youth groups. And, and, you know, over the years, I've had both youth, teenagers, and even parents of youth uh, more than once sit down and say, what's so wrong if I do this? What's so wrong? Uh, I'll go to this big party at, uh, with a bunch of teenagers or whatever college. I just won't drink. You know, I'll go to the bar, but I just won't drink it. And they'll have, you have things like that. And is it a sin for me to do that? Will I go to hell if I do that? And I don't know if you're like me. You probably are. I'm thinking that's the wrong question. That's not even the right question. You're not even in the right ballpark by asking a question like this. If you're saved, you're going to heaven. Okay? So the issue here is not if I do it, am I going to hell? The question is, does it excel? Does it transcend? Does it glorify God? Is it better? Best? Better? You know, is, is it better? Because we're to approve the things that are excellent. And we ought to be asking questions more like, what honors God? What honors God more? You understand what I'm saying? Uh, I'll know a lot of other people that are Christians, and they think it's fine to go see this movie. Just a few curse words, just a few immoral scenes on the screen. Uh, we'll close our eyes when that part happens or whatever. Uh, we'll kind of look the other way, whatever it may be. But the, the, the question we ought to be asking, I think this is his prayer for the Philippian church, when approving things that are excellent, is that we ought to say, what can I do? I'm a believer. My Savior saved me. Now, I haven't always done this. I'm simply saying what I ought to do and what we ought to do. What I ought to do and what I ought to ask is, what can I do in my life or leave undone in my life that will make me a better Christian? What can I do or leave undone in my life that will bring more, more glory to God? That's the questions. That's the type of questions. And if we're having to ask, can I do this and not go to hell? Can I do this and still make it to heaven? You already got some problems. 
You know what I mean? You've already, you're already thinking about compromise. You're already thinking about how close I can get to the world and still make it to heaven. The issue in, the, in the, the pursuit of God is not to see how close can I get to hell and yet still make it to heaven. How close can I get to the world and the things of the world and yet still squeak into heaven in the end because I sure don't want to go to hell. But you're leaving God out of the picture altogether. What honors the Lord? What pleases God? This is not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm telling you what the word of God teaches and what a child of God, where we ought to be, our mindset. We need to uh, wake ourselves up a little bit and say, wait, I'm, I'm asking the wrong questions. Or my teenager child is asking the wrong question. Where is the Lord in that picture at all? He's not. And where's Philippians 1.10, that you may approve things that excel, that are better, that are best. Why do we want to approve the things that are excellent? The last half of verse 10, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, this is part of my calling as a Christian. This wasn't unique for the Philippian church. This isn't unique to missionaries or pastors or evangelists or something like that. This is, he was praying for the church at Philippi. Philippian jailer was there and his family. The, the girl that had been a fortune tailor, teller and he cast the demons out was probably there. Lydia, the seller of purple, the first convert that we know in the whole continent of Europe was probably there. And he's just saying, this, we want to be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Okay, Sincere, it means pure and uncorrupted. That we may be pure and uncorrupted. It means unmixed. If I'm seeing how, if I can go to the bar and I just won't drink, I'll go hang out with a bunch of people that are acting all wild and crazy, and I'll just stand there and talk to my friends, and I won't do any of the stuff they're doing. That's not being unmixed, okay? Free from falsehood. falsehood. This is what the word sincere means. And I like this. It says it literally means examined in the sunlight. So we're going to drag it out of that dark closet or that dark spot of my heart. We're going to drag it out. We're going to put it in the sunlight. And we're going to see what's the motive of my heart right here. Sincere, unmixed. Let's get it all out in the open. You don't have to get it in the open before me necessarily, but get it out in the open before the Lord to the light of his word. It's all that whatever makes manifest is light. And, and so the, it literally means examined in the sunlight. So God puts his word in the Holy Ghost, and it says, now, Randy, that's not sincere. That's not unmixed. You're making a good argument. You might win a legal case with that argument, but I know what's going on in your heart. You need to come out of that. You need to come out of that altogether to be pure, sincere, uncorrupted, and without offense, okay, without offense. That means not stumbling or causing others to stumble. It means void of offense to God and man. And one, one Bible uh, commentary I was reading says, we're to be stepping stones leading people to Christ, not stumbling stones where people trip up. And so I'm looking at Pastor Randy's life, and he, and, uh, he does this. He watches that R-rated movie. It's just fine. That would be a stumbling stone, right? That would be a stumbling stone. Don't take those things lightly. Don't take those lightly. We'll answer to God for that, okay? There needs to be a holy, healthy fear of the Lord and walking with the Lord. Not that we 
afraid all the time, but we're reverent towards the Lord. It does not mean, by the way, that we're sinless, sinless perfection in the sense that that, that is taught. It does mean that we're in such a way like Paul's who said, you follow me as I follow Christ. I'm unmixed. When I do sin, I repent. And I'm going to tell you good and well, I repent. If you see me sin, I'll repent to you. You know what I mean? If I sin against you, I'll repent to you. I'll always repent uh, to the Lord and confess to God. But we're without offense in, in the way that we live. I want to read this real quickly in 1 Corinthians 10.32. I'll just read it. Give none offense, neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Does he say give a few offenses, and sometimes it's okay to give an offense because they just might misunderstand? No, he says give no offense to the Jews, the Gentiles, or the church of Jesus Christ. So that is what we're shooting for. We're always striving after perfection, not that, that uh, we're going to make ourselves perfect. We're simply striving after to live like the Bible tells a New Testament believer to live. We're asking God to forgive us when we don't. We're certainly asking God and totally depend upon the Lord by the Holy Ghost and by His grace to actually perform it and do it, okay, to walk it out by faith every day. That's what we're striving for. And our God wants His, His men and women and children to be clear as crystal, that we could be examined in the sunlight and uh, in our character, in our conduct, so a lost world can see Jesus. If they examine your life very, very, very closely, they need to see Jesus. Not just at church and not just, you know, at certain times when we're all going out witnessing or some kind of outreach. And how long do we do this? What does the Bible say at the end of verse uh, 10? Until the day of Christ. Till the day of Christ. It's the same um, phrase pretty much that was used at the end of verse 6. What is the day of Christ? This is every Bible scholar that, that I'm reading, studying, and I believe it fully. This has to do with his appearing. This has to do with the rapture of the church. This is not the second coming. This has to do with the day when the believer, that's who he's writing to, okay? This has to do with the day when the believer is going to see the Lord face to face. When we see the Lord face to face, the Bible says faith will end in sight. Faith will end in sight. And when we see him face to face, there's no more redos. There's no more changing. I wish I'd have served God more. Let me go back and tell my brother about Jesus. Let me, all that's going to be over with. So until that day, which that day could happen at any moment, the rapture of the, of the church is imminent. That means there's nothing preventing it. There's nothing that happens to happen before it. There's nothing biblically or prophetically or any way on God's timetable that has to happen before the church is raptured. It's simply the Lord's discretion. It's simply the Lord's timing. But until that day, every day, you and I are to live growing in knowledge, growing in love, okay, and in discernment and approving the things that are excellent and so forth till the day of Christ. I want to read this from Ephesians 4.30 just real quickly. And, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day 
of redemption. Where we're already saved, this again to me has to, I believe has to do with the rapture of the church, that day when we see the Lord face to face. We don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. Amen? Let's keep moving on. We'll, we'll look at Philippians uh, 4.11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So being filled with the fruits of righteousness, being filled, okay? Being filled means to cause to abound, to be full, no room for anything else. That's how we're to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, or righteous fruits is what he's talking about here. No room for anything else. We have as the, the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, we talk about this quite often. The moment you gave your life to Jesus and you were sincere and you meant it, you and I were put in, robed in the righteousness of Christ. Paul says, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, he said, which was after the law, but the righteousness is, which is of Christ, which is by faith. And the moment you and I were saved, we were robed in his righteousness. He is both just, the Lord is just, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. So he justifies us. That has nothing to do with our practice, our performance, our walk with God, our ministry, how much money we tithe, how many people we witness to. It has nothing to do with that. It simply has, we believe the gospel in our heart of hearts. We believe we were sinners in need of a Savior, and we believe the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. And we say, I give you my life. Be my Savior and Lord. Forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. You know, make me your own. Right at that moment, we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. That never changes. That has to do with our standing because it has to do with, the, in God's eyes, a legal standing. These are legal terms when it talks about justified and condemned. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, and he that believeth, as the scriptures say, uh, I'm sorry, he that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. These are legal terms. And God is the judge. He's also our lawyer and our advocate and our savior. But that means we pass from death to life. Again, has nothing to do with how good a Christian you're going to be after you're saved. Has everything to do with the grace of God and him doing what he says he'll do. He says, him that comes to me by faith, he won't, won't, won't cast out. So he robes us in the righteousness of Christ and we stand legally. We were on this side of God's judgment seat, if you want to call it that, or his bar. And the judge pronounced us just and he put us over here. In his family and in this kingdom, we're translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, and we're part of this. Okay, now, now we're all over here. We're every born-again person's over here. God sees us as just and innocent. But there's a lot of work that has to be done in our lives to actually make us righteous in the sense of holy in practice, lifestyle conduct. The Bible says, as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of behavior, conduct, conversation. That didn't take place when I got saved. The seed was planted in me of Christ. I'm born again. That needs to grow and develop. As sincere, uh, as newborn babes de desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There's a lot of growth. 
speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up into him. So now I'm over here. I'm his child. We have little babies running around in this church and some crawling around in this church. They're little babies. They're as alive as they'll ever be. They belong to that mother and father as much as they ever would. They are the son or daughter of that, those parents. That will never change. But they have a lot of growing up to do. Physically, their speech, emotionally, mentally, every way. Certainly we're praying in Christ. But so when he says here, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, that, this has to do with the fruit that we bear. The fruit that the believer bears. And, and Paul says, I want you to be full of fruit. Well, Paul's not the only one that says it. Our Lord says it, right? In John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth what? Much fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. It glorifies God. It's not the, um, the means of salvation. It would be more of a fruit of the salvation that we already have, okay? So there's a right standing or a righteous standing in the righteousness of Christ at salvation, and there are righteous practices. We're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We're in church together tonight. This is a righteous practice. We're sitting under the authority of God's Word, and He's speaking to our hearts. We, we're studying to show ourselves approved, right? We're praying. We're seeking the Lord. None, none of us are perfect in those areas, but we're pursuing after the Lord in these ways. This would be practices that we're going to produce, that will produce fruit in our lives. My little children, let no man deceive you. I'm quoting from 1 John 3, 7. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So this has to do with doing, okay? I'll read it again. My little children, so he's already writing to believers. He that, let no man deceive you, he that doeth or doth righteousness is righteous, even as he, the Lord, is righteous. So if somebody runs around saying all the time, or you or me or somebody else, I'm a Christian, I love God, we're close, don't, you don't have to witness to me, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. You've known them for 25 years, you've seen zero fruit in their lives. They ought to be concerned. I can't put them in heaven or put them in hell. That's not up to me to do. But the Bible does say, and it's there for a reason, you shall know them by their what? Fruit. We'll know them by their fruit. Does a fig tree bring forth thorns or thistles? Neither does a, uh, you know, a corrupt tree can, cannot bring forth good fruit. Neither can a good fruit, uh, tree bring forth corrupt fruit. For the tree is known by his fruit. And so here he says in verse 10, that you would bring forth much fruit or full fruit unto righteousness. And he says that it, in verse 11, being filled, filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are, number one, by Jesus Christ, and number two, unto the praise of God. So this has nothing to do in one sense with man. Man has no real hand, especially it comes from the Lord. Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? It is of the Spirit. Its origin is the Spirit. It comes from the Lord. It's not the product of man. And it is back unto, unto the glory and praise of God. I quoted a second ago, John 15. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. It comes from the Lord. And I don't think we should concentrate on all the time fruit. I think we are to concentrate on Jesus. We're to concentrate 
or if you want to call that the Lord. We're to keep our focus on Christ, loving God. Am I abiding in Christ? Am I walking with the Lord? Is my lifestyle, behavior, the music I listen to, the things I watch on TV, the friends that I choose to hang out with, uh, my prayer or prayerlessness, is this causing me to abide in Christ or not abide in Christ? Because if I abide in Christ, we will bear fruit, period. It's not maybe, you will, I will. Why? Because the Lord produces it by the Holy Ghost. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And so he says here, filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. It means they come from the Lord. You can't produce them by trying harder. You can abide in Christ and stay close to the Lord. And there are things we can do to help stay close to the Lord. He's helping us all the time. But we can, we can know, am I drifting from the Lord? Am I just outright in rebellion towards God? Am I walking 180 degree different direction than my Savior's walking? We can know it. It's not a mystery. We know it by the conscience that He's given us. We know it by the Holy Spirit and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. We know it by the Word of God. It's not a big mystery. Am I walking close to God? We press in by faith. We, we say, search me, O God, and know my, my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. And you lead me, Lord, in in the, uh, the ways of righteousness, in the way everlasting, life everlasting. And so, so the fruit comes from the Lord, and the fruit is back unto the Lord, unto the praise of God. And that really is the purpose of, when you think about it, our whole salvation, the whole Christian life, the whole, all, whatever ministry, work we do, how we live, how we countenance on our face, everything is to be for the glory of God. It is all to be for the glory of God. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Whatsoever you do, uh, do all to the glory of God. It is all for the glory of God. It must glorify the Lord. The only thing that glorifies God in in a man's life or a person's life is Christ. To the extent that Christ is seen, to the extent that Christ has liberty and free reign and rule over that life, and speaks through that life, and prays through that life, and sings through that life, and loves through that life. That's the extent that the Lord is going to be glorified. It comes through abiding. I'll read a little quote from a, uh, a Bible teacher that I was studying on this, this scripture. He says, fruit is associated with our relationship to Christ. It's not separate from that. It's not, let me try to go out and work on kindness. Uh, God may have us work on kindness, but let him lead us and show us how to do that. Amen. Fruit is associated with our relationship to Christ and his expectation of us. The branches on a vine are intended to bear fruit. Okay. And that is plain and simply, that's what it's for. And we t- I talk about this all the time. If you plant a uh, satsuma tree in your backyard or a pecan tree, in your yard or property, you have the full intent at some point, pecan trees will take longer than the others, but some point for that tree to bear fruit. I can tend to it. I can make sure it's, you know, getting everything it needs. But if it is a real pecan tree, it's going to bear fruit in its season. It will. God made it that way. You didn't make the tree. You planted it. Amen. And it's made to bear fruit, Uh, oranges or whatever it may be. That is the intent. And the intent of your life, or one of the intents of your life and mine, for him saving me and planting me in Christ. If any man be in Christ, I'm planted in Christ. 
that, that his intent is for the life back out to him and for the glory of God, this righteous fruit. Not self-righteousness where people pat me on the back and say, you're sure a wonderful Christian. Nothing wrong if we say that, but for the glory of God. And we can say, amen, God has done so much in my life. You just don't know where I was before. You don't know what I would be today if it weren't for the grace of God. And all the glory goes back to the Lord. And sometimes there's not even a whole lot of talk about it. You just are. You just are that. And you're consistently that, abiding in Christ and bearing fruits of righteousness. I'm going to bring this to a close. F.B. Meyer says this, kind of summing up, summing up the verses that we read tonight, Philippians 1, 7 through 11. He says, abounding in love, because remember, this is his first prayer for the church in Philippi, that you may abound in, in love more and more. Abounding in love will lead to increased knowledge, and this to quicker discrimination between things that differ, however similar they may appear. And this, in turn, to freedom from blame and offense. That was the, about, the part about being sincere, right? Not mixed or pure. Freedom from blame and offense. And all will result in the fruit of a holy life, pleasing to Jesus and bringing glory and praise to God. That's why I said earlier, if I'm asking can I go to this dance with a bunch of craziness going on and simple things and still make it to heaven? We're not at all in the mindset of this passage of Scripture right here. We need to get back into the Word and see. We're just asking the wrong questions. It's selfish. I want to do this, but I still want to go to heaven. I want to dabble in this. I won't do all the horrible things. I just want to be around it all, and I still want to go to heaven when I die. Still be a child of God. I love Jesus. Well, we're asking the wrong questions. Where mind is in the wrong place. Get your mind and your heart back on Christ. He's going to lead us in the way that we should go. We won't be miserable. I say it all the time. You're not missing out on anything. You're not. You know, you didn't go to that frat party or that whatever party. You didn't miss anything. You didn't miss anything. You keep your eyes on Jesus and keep walking with the Lord. Those people one day are going to be wishing they had followed Jesus like you did. Some point, maybe after they die, maybe before, and they'll come looking you up and say, I remember Liz walked with, with Jesus when I wasn't, and I used to think she was weird or whatever. Now she's coming and saying, Liz, would you pray with me? How, how do you do it? Tell me what it is. You keep, you're not missing anything in the world, okay? It would be blameless and without offense for the glory of God. We'll close with one scripture. Y'all turn with me to Isaiah 61. We're going to read verse 3, but we're really looking at the second half of verse 3. We're going to read the whole thing. It's speaking about Christ at his first coming. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they, that's the people that the Lord ministers to, that's the people that the Lord saves, okay? That's us as well. That they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, that he might be glorified. 
He wants to make us something by his preaching, by his ministry, the Lord Jesus, okay, that we might be something, that we might be the planting of the Lord, trees of righteousness. That would be righteous fruit for sure. Trees of righteousness. This tree is something that's strong. It's planted. It's firm. Trees of righteousness that he might be glorified. Amen. It's all for the glory of God. When God's glorified, the child of God's going to be most happy and most content and most joyful. When the Lord's most glorified through your life, that's when you're going to be most content and happy. Because that's the only reason we're here is for the glory of God. Amen. Uh, Let's pray, y'all, tonight. Just come and spend just a few, few moments here at the altar to dealing with you and leading you. But, Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we, we want to um, abound in love. We want to be trees of righteousness, God. We want to be trees that not only bear a minimal amount of fruit every now and then, but our lives would bear, bring forth much fruit unto the glory of God. Help us to abide in Christ, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes upon Jesus, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to see how close we can get to the world and indulge in things up to what we consider a safe point. But, Lord, help us to flee idolatry. Help us to flee from temptation and sin. Help us to flee unto you, Lord. You're our refuge from sin, a shelter from it, God. And give us such a heart that we would desire that. We would desire to be pure to your, when you examine us in the sunlight, God, in light of your word that we would be blameless and without offense until the rapture of the church, until you're appearing. Would you work in the hearts and lives of your people, Lord, and separate us unto yourself, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.